Welcome to Spot on Safety, the program designed for safety professionals. Spot on Safety is brought to you by iWorkWise, providing safety knowledge that you need. more information about iWorkWise, go to iWorkWise.com. Welcome to Spot on Safety, Episode 11, Lockout Tagout, with your hosts, Amy Does and Dan Smiley. Good morning, Amy. Thanks for taking time out of the day. This is going to be 85-degree day to do yet another safety topic podcast with us. No, hi, Dan. It, no, I'm happy to be here. Um, been traveling for a while and going to be traveling again soon, so at least we have a little window we can... We can talk again. Yeah, you caught me on my way to the ferry, on my way to Port Angeles, sort of a, a, a pit stop on the way. I thought we'd talk today about lockout-tagout. Now, lockout-tagout is responsible, or the lack thereof, is responsible for ongoing accidents from equipment being started up while people were working on it. Didn't realize that it either needed to be locked out or people who are coming along behind them don't understand what the tags mean or for whatever the reason, you know, equipment that can cause serious harm gets started while people have got their arm in it, their head under it, or, or whatever. Well, I thought this would be a good time to review that program and, and hope to shed a little light on it for people. Yeah, it sounds good. You know, OSHA's, OSHA has a standard called lockout, tagout, or uh, control of hazardous energy. Um, it's 1910.147. It applies to everyone with even one employee. So if you have employees working on equipment uh, and they could get injured if it accidentally started up or if they didn't disable it properly before they stuck their hands in the works, um, this applies to you. So I think it's important that we go over it. There's still way too many accidents. Um, like this, and the accidents with lockout tend to be serious, like amputations or, or death or s serious, uh, you know, maiming that is life-changing. So it's really good that you get this one right. Yeah, I remember there was a, a gal, I forget her name, you know, lost both legs in a lockout tagout related accident a couple of years ago. That was just a horrible story. Uh, PBS showed a program on Frontline that talked about a number of OSHA violations and lockout tagout was one of them. There were some really horrific uh, pieces of video for people getting injured from this it, and it's just been going on forever. Oh, it has and it's it's a good way to not come home safely um, is to be working on equipment without a really good uh, energy control program. It, the accidents do, do tend to be horrific and, uh, and this is really important. I mean there are a lot of, you could uh, minimize safety programs and talk about OSHA having too many regs in a lot of different areas but this you know there's a lot of proof that um, things need to be disabled effectively before you work on them and it's gonna uh, that makes a difference in your life so it's an important one yeah I was this isn't a work related thing but I was I needed to replace the alternator on my car this was a 1991 Volkswagen Jetta and in order to make sure I did it right I went and, and purchased the um, Volkswagen tech manual. So I got all the steps for how to go about doing this. And so I'm, I'm underneath the, the car and I'm pulling out the main bolt that holds that alternator to the engine frame. 
Nowhere in the manual did this say that this bolt was also one of the engine mounts. So I'm lying underneath this thing, and all of a sudden, this engine drops six inches towards my face. Oh my gosh. I mean, if, <laughs> and it got caught by the rest of the bolts. It literally could have killed me. I had no idea. I mean, literally, it needed to be blocked, and there should have been a procedure mm -hmm. uh, that should have said, you know, if you're going to pull this bolt, you need to block the engine. Uh, you know, it was my own fault, but I thought I had you know, researched it enough, so that's the kind of thing. You know. That's exactly the kind of thing that the standards meant to. I mean, OSHA has some OSHA speak in there. They would call that stored energy, you know, or gravity is the energy, right? Because you're going to get crushed under your engine. Um, and that's that's kind of OSHA speak. But, I mean, you can see with that story that you just told, Dan, that it's a lot of this stuff is, is uh, I mean, it's it's real. And it's, it's common sense kinds of things that can happen to people. Yeah, I, I've had nightmares myself about being uh, crushed under a car. I always black my car besides just having it on ramps and everything. But that kind of thing, that that is uh, is scary. So uh, we don't want that happening to anybody. We'll try to do do better. All right. So that was my that was at home. So mm -hmm. it didn't obviously OSHA didn't apply. But if I had been doing that in a shop where OSHA did apply, then that would have been a violation. So. You know, what is the lockout tagout standard? Let, let's just start with the basics. Well, basic overview is that you have to have a, a program in your workplace to control hazardous energy, like that in, in electrical, uh, pneumatics or air would be another one, hydraulics, um, springs even. There are a lot of uh, food distribution centers that have those roll-up doors that are spring-assisted that are uh, could be seriously hazardous if it wasn't done right. So. Any kind of energy like that um, has to be controlled in the in the program, and so employers should look at what equipment they have in their facility, or, or if they have service techs, what equipment those guys are going to be working on, or girls, and uh, basically come up with a program to make sure that doesn't happen to their people. Um, so that would involve some written procedures, and in most cases, those can be general procedures, and OSHA has kind of an overview of what should be in there. Maybe we'll talk about that a little later. Um, and if there's equipment that's at all complex, uh, that has more than one form of energy that would affect you, um, you have, actually have to have a specific procedure for that piece of equipment. So this lockout standard requires some heavy writing, some heavy technical writing, and um, if you have things that have more than one power source or more than one energy source. So a specific procedure for each piece of equipment, you can group if you had, you know, 20 conveyors that operated the same way, then you could say conveyors. Um, but basically you have to have specific procedures for things that have more than one energy source, and that has to be in writing. You have to follow the basic safety steps. Uh, there's, of course, a training element in OSHA groups people into two categories. You're either affected or you're authorized. If you're affected, you might see a lockout procedure or you might work in the area. Um, so you should know basically not to mess with somebody else's lockout uh, stuff. Um, and then, of course, the people who are going to be doing it need to know how to do it. And OSHA calls those people authorized. So authorized employees get more in-depth training. And another thing that's interesting about this standard that I like is OSHA, it's not an annual retraining requirement. Companies can find that it might be more their program might be more effective if training is done annually, 
But OSHA only requires that you train people really well initially so they know how to execute what they need to do safely and they can integrate these safety procedures into their maintenance procedures or, or uh, unjamming procedures or whatever. Um, and then you're, you're good to go. And what you have to do, this, the one thing people miss though, they, they do their training annually, even though you're not required to do it, to do it annually. And then they miss the thing that you are required to do annually, which is an assessment of your workplace, where you go around your workplace and you look at ways people are, each authorized employee is locking things out and you make sure they're doing it right. So you don't have to retrain them annually, you have to walk around and make sure these guys or people are doing the job right annually and you have to write that down. So uh, you have to watch them do a lockout procedure basically. And it can be kind of random like when they happen to be doing it or you could call everybody in one day and make them do some random procedure that you assign to them. Um, but one way or another, uh, you have to, to watch each person, make sure they're doing it right and retrain them on the spot if there's something they're missing. Hey, you didn't put your name on that tag. Hey, you didn't put a lock on it. Hey, you didn't bleed off the air in that compressor. You might have locked out the power, but you didn't bleed off the air. So one thing I really like about the standard is that it's kind of boots on the ground common sense and you're, it's less about paperwork um, and more about making sure it's happening right in your facility. So that's pretty cool. Um, I guess the only other major element to the standard that I want to talk about is that if you uh, don't use locks in some cases and you just try to disable things and tag them, um, then a lot of these things get stepped up as far as your training and, and whatnot. You have to do more things. And uh, I personally believe things should be locked out if they, uh, if at all possible. And if you can't lock them out, you should make it so you can. Of course, there's, they work with ships a lot. There's some ship systems that can't be locked out. Um, there are a lot of reasons I think ships are a little bit different. Um, or big refineries might be a little different when you're locking out a process. But in most workplaces where the equipment is pretty straightforward and not part of a major system, uh, should just be locked. Yeah, I think, you know, the guys that work for me in the oil spill response business, there are five of us full time at my location. And since there are no contractors, anybody else, they tend to default to tags because it's such a small group and they're working pretty closely together. Um, especially if there's only one power source and it's easy to, to take care of. But when it gets into more complicated stuff, like our, a lot of our oil spill, our skimmers are one-off. You know, people don't work with them very often. They pull them off the shelf, they use them. You really need to be more careful when you tag that kind of thing out. Yeah, and you know, the lockout standard actually has an exemption for maritime, so maritime doesn't have to follow the letter of it. But if there's still a hazard, it could be cited under general duty. as a general duty to provide a safe workplace. So even though smaller facilities handle it that way and people are tagging, um, if you followed the OSHA standard, you would have to disable the machine and tag it. You couldn't just tag it. So it, that would be a violation. And I know it's, you know, I know it's going on out there. I see it all the time, but just, just so people know, um, you can't just turn something off and slap a tag on it. As far as the OSHA standard goes, it's unequivocal and it's uh, written clearly that they're really and I think the root of this problem comes to a misnomer in the standard lockout tagout. The standard should be called lockout or disable 
test out and tag. So your choice is lockout or disable. Your choice isn't lockout or tag out. Well, isn't there verbiage in the standard that says that you can tag it if tags provide an equal level of protection? I right. Think people hang their hat on that. Right, but I think that that's, I don't think you could say that a tag, uh, all you have to do is flip the breaker over so a tag provides the equal level of protection where if it's locked, you have to go get some bolt cutters and then pull that off and then flip the, you know, take the tag or lock off. Um, so just putting a tag on something, somebody could bump it, they could turn it on by accident, they could just walk up to it and flip it on because they think you're done. Um, so a tag in those cases, I don't think it would stand up for a heartbeat as far as providing equal protection. And whether, it, I guess, you know, for maritime, whether or not OSHA exempts maritime or not, it's just best practice. I mean, you're trying to send your employees home safely at the end of the day. That's the goal. It is. And, you know, I we could get into lockout, tagout for eons. Um, last year I testified in Washington, D.C. on behalf of a couple groups um, on the new lockout uh, OSHA wants to apply some lockout standards to maritime, and anyway, I have more opinions about that than we have time in a week to cover. Um, I think maritime should be a little bit different, but in any case, um, whatever's going to come out of this is I, I think that you're going to have to, there's a preference for locks. You're going to use locks in maritime soon also. So, uh, you know, we'll see how all that shapes out, and I really hope um, that industry can shape it a little bit to make it better and more protective um, than what OSHA had planned, but uh, in the general industry standard for most workplaces that aren't maritime, it is unequivocal. Um, the, it's been the rule since 1990 um, that any equipment installed has to be capable of accepting a lock. And I go into facilities all the time, people say, hey, you know, I don't, you know, we'd lock it out, but we just can't. I mean, look at this. There's no, no device or no way I can attach a lock. And I say, when's it been installed? And they said, oh, 2001. I'd say, well, you're in violation right there. You're supposed to think about lockout when you're designing and installing new equipment. So this standard um, could work out really well if there was a good working relationship between safety and engineering and safety and design people in it. Um, and if the designers and engineers had a had had to figure out to put in an easy way to disable something and lock it out. That's a no-brainer. It would make workplaces across the United States vastly safer. But because the engineers and designers aren't really involved in the safety element of it, and there's a disconnect, um, you know, things aren't getting installed right. They're not getting installed um, to accept locks. So it's been the law. It's right in the OSHA standard. Since 1990, if you install equipment, it has to be capable of accepting a lock. But it, to this day, equipment's still going in that can't. And then uh, to execute the program or to work on something safely, people really have were handed a bill, you know, a, a package that makes it really hard on them. It should be easy. When you install equipment, it should make a, a good way to disable it and secure it. Um, and that the safety element of that, someday you're going to have to work on that piece of equipment. The safety element, I think, should be uh, thought about a lot more. So anyway, I, I didn't get into this subject for a long time, but let's not. And we'll just um, try to review the basic steps. But there's, there's a lot of really cool and interesting aspects and a lot of things going on in the background as far as making laws on this, on this issue. Super important topic. So if I were to try to give a list of 
short bullet points to someone who is going to go about reviewing their lockout tagout program. Maybe I'm a new safety manager for a company and I'm coming in uh, and taking a look around to make sure that I'm in compliance. What would the short list of bullet items be? You need to have a written energy control program that has general procedures um, step by step for locking out uh, everything with one power source. Um, you have to have a specific procedure written for each piece of equipment that has more than one power source. Um, you have to have a training program set up with a distinction between your affected employees and your authorized employees. You have to do annual assessments in your workplace of each authorized employee to make sure that they're doing it right. Um, and if you're going to use tag out where you, where you disable the piece of equipment and put a tag on it, there has to be special training given in addition to what's required for lockout um, to make sure that people realize that a tag can give you a false sense of security and some other things that OSHA lays out in standard. So that would be what you'd need to have in place for a, for a, uh, as a basic lockout program. Yeah, I think that sums it up nicely for us. And this is, again, this is all about making sure that not only ourselves but our employees go home safely at the end of the day. And I, I do hear from people, not just on this subject, but on other subjects, oh, OSHA doesn't apply to us. You know, we're a ship. This is different. You know, what is the spirit of, of the rule? And is there a program here, maybe not an OSHA program, but is there a program, a portion of this, or all of it that you can adapt? Uh, that's what it's really all about, making sure that people don't get hurt. Exactly. And make, making sure uh, that they understand the hazards of the equipment they're working with and can uh, effectively manage those hazards uh, to lower their risk. Thank you, Amy. We'll come back to this uh, topic, I'll bet, in another time, but for today, that's all the time we have. Thanks, Dan. Email us. The address is spotonsafety at iworkwise.com.